Compliance is definitely a top priority for us. TrueUSD is meant to be as regulatory compliant as possible. We recently published a stablecoin code of ethics where we said, hey, here are some of the things that we've learned about creating a stablecoin and some of the past lessons we learned historically. We're never going to actually prevent redemptions because we think that a stablecoin is only as good as its ability to redeem the underlying U.S. dollars. We said we would never actually influence the price of a stablecoin purposefully by offering discounts. We will continue to, insofar as much as possible, be as regulatory compliant and sustain the stablecoin so that it's not knocked down by miscompliance. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. From predictable pricing to flexible configurations to world-class customer support, you'll get access to all the infrastructure services you need to grow. Plus, DigitalOcean's community provides over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Afternoon podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Danny Ann. He's the CEO and founder of Trust Token. They've created a tokenized asset platform, and their first major asset is TrueUSD, a tokenized version of the US dollar. So if you're interested in learning more about stablecoins and cryptocurrencies and how they work, this is an amazing episode, so stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Sure. I'm Danny Ahn. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Trust Token and TrueUSD. Um, Trust Token is an asset-backed token platform. Basically, we take real-world assets like gold or U.S. dollars and turn them into asset tokens like gold token or U.S. dollar token. And the first thing that we tokenized um, was U.S. dollars. It's called TrueUSD. It's the second largest stablecoin after Tether. It's a fiat-backed stablecoin, meaning that there's $100 of U.S. dollars always backing $100 of TrueUSD um, that are out in circulating supply in, in the cryptocurrency markets. Awesome. And so what, uh, what made you get into kind of the, the stable coin space and kind of made the decision to, you know, launch a stable coin and, you know, launch one of the first, uh, you know, one of the first USD coins. Yeah. And so we saw that there was a um, large opportunity with uh, the crypto, the blockchain technology to actually take traditional real world assets and actually move them to this new, worldwide system. Um, and you can see this with Bitcoin and Ethereum where uh, the old financial markets worked like you had the S&P 500 and it was traded on a few markets like the New York Stock Exchange. And now you see Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these digital assets being traded all across the world on hundreds and hundreds of exchanges. And so um, with that, we thought that there was a large, one of the largest opportunities was figuring out how to take real world assets with fundamental value and move it onto this new um, global system. And um, we started off with that and we, we found that there is a um, issue where you had to actually trust how someone connect, made the legal connection between the underlying asset and the token itself. And so when we saw this, one of the clearest examples of this was Tether, where people weren't really sure that there was actually a, a sound legal connection nor a, the actual dollars backing the full amount of circulating supply. And so we saw that as a, a, a really clear use case of how to... Um, create an asset-backed token that, that had immediate demand adoption and demonstrated the use case of connecting real-world assets to tokens. 
And can you explain for the audience if they're not familiar with like the whole tether situation? Because I remember, especially like in the peak of 2017, like there was a lot of rumors that, you know, tether was kind of inflating the market. You know, they didn't have the actual, uh, the actual dollars to back up the actual coins. Like there were some, there were some issues there. Yeah. I mean, you summarized it, um, pretty well. There were rumors, um, they got subpoenaed. It wasn't clear which bank they were using. If the, the bank held the full amount of tethers out in circulating supply. Um, of course these were spread out in the news. Um, and at the same time, tether was growing in market cap very, very quickly from I think $400 million back in October, um, all the way up to maybe $2 billion in the, in the course of a couple of months. And so that, that got everyone to pay attention because there were so much rumors and the market cap was growing uh, so quickly. And how did you address a lot of those issues with what you're doing with Trust Token to you know, make sure that that doesn't repeat itself? Yeah, definitely. A um, couple of things. And so the first thing that was clear was that they, they didn't have a uh, relationship with an auditor that could look at the bank account and say, yes, there is $100,000 of tree or US dollars backing the $100,000 of tokens. And so mm-hmm. from the very beginning, we started working with a public accounting firm called Cohen & Co. And they, um, they have done regular attestations since the day we launched. And so that was the first thing we got in order. Second is that we worked with various attorneys um, to create a sound legal connection where the terms and conditions clearly stated that there is a legal connection between the U.S. dollars and the tokens themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we, the third thing we did is we worked with an external fiduciary or a trust company where we don't have access to any of the funds. And so that's really the, the special thing about what we do is that, you know, we don't think it makes sense for a startup to hold hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars in their own corporate bank account where no one can really access it as an external party. And so from the very beginning, we reached out to trust companies and fiduciaries where we said, hey, um, you are already established company with license and regulated for years um, and you already manage billions of dollars. And so it makes sense that people would trust it more if you actually escrowed the accounts. And so we work with multiple fiduciary partners that hold the funds for us. Awesome. And can you talk about the benefits of why someone would want to use a digital version of the U.S. dollar? Yeah, the main benefits are that it's cheaper faster and you can send it to anyone that has a private key. Um, and what that means is that for a wire internationally, it can cost you know, upwards of $100, maybe even more. Um, there are a bunch of intermediaries that are taking fees along the way. You don't really know how, how much it's going to cost. Um, and those are the kind of swift rails that are, um, there's a lot of entrenched players that make money off of that as well as foreign exchange um, that keep it expensive. Um, but it also keeps it slow because there's a very kind of methodical way that it has to go through and jump through different banks. Um, the great thing about Ethereum is that there's no real um, intermediary counterparty where there's just a decentralized network keeping track of a global ledger that everyone takes as the universal standard of what's, what's, what's the actual ledger in the account. Um, mm-hmm. So it, ca- it takes seconds to send um, on, you know, on a ERC20 token while on bank it takes you know three to five days and it doesn't work on nights and weekends and so imagine if on google or facebook you just couldn't you just couldn't access on that access it on nights and weekends and yeah. that's what our financial system is like um and it's 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 completely crazy if you think about it in the internet age but it, it's it's the standard right now and so when you have a new system that you can a parallel financial system where you can essentially send it free and instantaneously it's a it's a really a game changer for the velocity of money well, I just had a reminder recently of kind of the banking institutions, uh, you know, they, and the, I mean, the system that they have is just, 
I, I mean, it's like almost straight out of like the 1800s, you know, they have set business hours. Uh, you know, you can only get access to your money during those set business hours. Uh, and the speed of transaction, especially between banks, uh, you know, I had a situation where I was trying to move some money between like a Wells Fargo and a Bank of America account. And like, literally, they don't allow, they don't even allow like you to walk cash into a bank anymore to deposit money into someone's account. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, you can't even use cash anymore. If you use their wire services, like, it's not even guaranteed that the money will be transferred instantly. Even if you pay for the most expensive wire, it can still take up to like 24 to 72 hours. Um, if, and this is just in the United States of America, just if you're trying to send money between a Wells Fargo account and a Bank of America account, it could take anywhere between 24 to 72 hours. So we're not even talking like a major transfer here. We're not talking international here. We're just talking one bank to another bank in the United States and it could take up to three days. Um, so, you know, you can't execute a smart contract on that. You can't, uh, you know, it, it's, you can't do a lot of these advanced things that you can do once you've got a cryptocurrency and a digital token. Can you talk a little bit about like, uh, the benefits of having that digital token so that you can do smart contracting and what that means? Yeah. And that touches upon the third point, which is anyone that holds a private key can now accept, um, cryptocurrency. And so, a digital dollar was something that was important, particularly when you have countries like Venezuela that have hyperinflation and they've really lost the ability to be able to store their wealth in, in safe places. But now that they can just memorize a uh, private key, they, anyone can have a, um, um, a safe place to store their wealth. And that becomes important because there's you know, 1.7 billion people that are unbanked and now they have access to the, these, this banking system um, that, that just shows up overnight. Um, but beyond that, just as you mentioned, there's, of course, smart contracts where now it's not just people that are able to hold bank and funds. Um, it's, it's computers and, and digital code. And that's amazing because um, you know, there are futuristic things called DAOs, um, which we've seen some examples are. But, but I think that there'll be more and more ways where code is actually be able to run some businesses and some business logic um, to be able to facilitate the economy and provide services and, and uh, products. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. From predictable pricing to flexible configurations to world-class customer support, you'll get access to all the infrastructure services you need to grow. Plus, DigitalOcean's community provides over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. And you guys have a smart contract platform that is it launched yet or is it that's part of what you're working on, right? Um, I think, so you're referring to the trust token platform? Yeah. Yeah. So the trust token platform, uh, it's in development. Uh, we're aiming to launch uh, next year. And uh, the plan is to allow for a system that um, helps create trustworthiness whenever there is an asset being tokenized. Um, and so that uses staking and other components as well. But and it takes you, a lot of the lessons from TrueUSD. And are you mostly using Ethereum right now or what, are you blockchain agnostic? What, how do you kind of see the platforms that are out there and are you working with one over the other or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, currently we're on um, Ethereum. TrueUSD is an ERC-20 token. Um, we aren't, we are blockchain agnostic. We can always port over, but right now it seems that um, Ethereum has the most momentum. And what, uh, what decision went into that? Just the fact that Ethereum has the most momentum and, you know, ERC-20 tokens are pretty well accepted or 
that was a big component. Um, a part of that was also exchanges were most comfortable with Ethereum and ERC-20 tokens as well. Okay. And what other features and functionality are you guys working on on your platform? Staking is the biggest one. Um, there may be some data structures around certain assets uh, that that say like, if you are going to tokenize X property or gold, um, here is a set of disclosures that often come from traditional regulation. Um, and then some, some uh, control terms around uh, how do you actually control and express ownership in different asset classes. And what assets do you kind of foresee uh, becoming digitized in tokens? Yeah, we think that the first wave, uh, we, we think generally follows the trend of um, simple assets to more complex assets. And so simple assets are currencies, and then you move into commodities and let's say real estate or, or, or securities. And mm -hmm. what you can think about is how much information you would need to know from me if you were going to buy that asset. And with currencies, you generally take at face value that they're all the same. Commodities are slight differences. And then real estate, there's the most opportunity for information asymmetry when you get into securities land. And so we think it's going to follow that trend where the first wave is tokenized currencies and then commodities and, and then more complex real estate or real uh, security tokens. Um, but of course, regulation has to keep a pace with that as well. And do you have any thoughts on like digital goods and digital services and how that could potentially move to tokens and become essentially digital assets? Uh, do you, are, are you speaking about um, NFTs connected with? Uh, um, possibly like video. I'm thinking more like video games. I'm thinking more like consumer goods. You know, you've got themes, templates, uh, you know, graphics, you've got all kinds of, You've got all kinds of marketplaces, you know, your theme forests out there, your creative markets places. Um, there's literally a site called uh, a creative market where you can buy like digital, you know, digital goods, graphics, um, templates, PowerPoint presentations, resumes, that kind of stuff. Um, do you see, do you see any tokenization of that potentially happening? Yes. I think, I think NFTs uh, are, are definitely possible. Um, Another thing is for, you mentioned digital games. I think that there may be even a layer on top of games where right now all the games are isolated by their own um, digital economies and their, their, their currencies. And if there's a way that you can actually move the currencies around, um, I think that that's also a, a large way. A game, the game industry is growing uh, very, very quickly as well. Yeah, it's, it's a massive industry. That's kind of why I'm asking because, uh, you know, by the time this episode airs, it, it might be old news, but... Uh, you know, they're, you know, uh, Rockstar released like Red Dead 2 um, and they're actually having to rebalance their economy because their initial like in-game mm. currency system was like kind of screwed up, to be honest with you. Like it, it didn't, mm. you know, some of the items were too expensive, other items were too cheap and they're, they're probably going to have to rebalance their economy. Um, and then I also think of games like Fortnite, uh, which have risen in popularity recently and, uh, you know, there are people who sell their, have to sell their accounts on eBay to get like exclusive or rare items because there's no marketplace. But uh, I believe I saw recently that there's a headline that uh, they are working on some kind of store to be able to sell some of those digital items. So um, I just foresee that there could be a really interesting use case in the gaming industry for, uh, for digital assets and tokenized assets. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious to see how that compares when you look at, you know, what's going to happen. Cause I, I fully agree with you. Like that trend you were talking about, like there's going to be this trend where we're going to start to see commodities and we're going to start to see real estate and 
real world assets get backed on the blockchain. Um, but then I think there's also going to be kind of a separate movement that happens with digital. Yes, I can definitely see that as well. Do you have any additional thoughts on that or? Yeah, I think that um, the gaming industry is known for pioneering technology. And so it could be the, the fact that that actually moves much more quickly than uh, um, uh, real world assets tokenization because that will rely on compliance and the gaming industry usually they, they, they don't they don't move regulation in as as much which is a slowing factor okay and let's let's jump back to you know what you're working on and uh, your platform so can you give like an example of some use cases of like what a smart contract would look like just so the audience kind of gets an understanding of like you know why they would move uh, you know why they would potentially swap some of their fiat for you know uh, for your token and your uh, uh, your USD backed token and you know again kind of what are the benefits of like you know in some of those use cases that would really enable them to be able to do something that they couldn't do right now with the current banking system or maybe do it better. Yeah, so the big one right now is um, being able to use TrueSD to buy uh, buy cryptocurrencies on exchanges. And so there's really three main use cases. One is around um, having a safe place to store your wealth to be able to hedge out against cryptocurrency volatility. Every time crypto goes down, you know, you want to be in a stable currency to be able to hedge against that. Um, the second one is if you're, if you see price discrepancies across exchanges um, and you want to do inter-arbitrage exchange, you can move from Binance to Bittrex and then um, purchase Bitcoin, you know, at two or 3% cheaper. Um, so that's an area of this case. And the third one is mainly around remittance, where um, if you are trying to send uh, crypto to someone else for payment or for remittance, well, you can use Bitcoin, but you're exposed to the volatility there. And so you may want to use TrueUSD instead. Yep. And I could totally see the use case for, you know, taking payment, especially like I've worked with a lot of people in Europe. And like, as you mentioned earlier, the international wire fees and, you know, hopping banks and, I mean, I've had to have banks trace wires and, you know, it ends up in like Greenland or something randomly. And I'm like, huh, I didn't even, we didn't, like the companies in Ireland, like, you know, or, um, you know, the, the way that they route the money sometimes just doesn't really follow a logical path. Right. Uh, I had a wire go through Puerto Rico recently and I'm like, okay, um, like that was interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know why they routed it through Puerto Rico, but they did. Um, so it's, you know, the banking system as it's set up today, it's just this kind of archaic system where they've had to patch, uh, you know, a lot of these different banking systems together. Uh, I've, you know, worked on some projects and I've worked with a couple bankers on, and, and they've told me a little bit of inside info. And it's like, you know, they had to, you know, they had to integrate these systems when uh, a lot of these banks consolidated, especially in the nineties and the early two thousands, uh, you got to keep in mind like banks like JP Morgan, they acquired like a hundred other banks uh, over like, you know, maybe like a 10 year time span. So they had to integrate all those different banking systems and create one banking system for all those different banks to run off of when basically every single bank had different software operating on it. So like that, though, just having like, just to be able to even send money between those banks within the same banking network in the same system, even they have challenges with that. Um, so it's, you know, it's just an old system. So, you know, what you're working on with, you know, TrueUSD and, you know, is basically an alternative to be able to just 
not have to deal with the archaic nature of, you know, routing money the way that we've been routing it. And then you still have traceability. You can still freeze assets. Can you talk a little bit, you know, about uh, some of the other like regulatory, like safeguards that you've put in place? Yeah, definitely. Um, Just a note on um, what you mentioned about there is this archaic system and all the banks are working on this protocol and Ethereum and all these cryptocurrencies are are kind of an open protocol that has shown up right next to it. And I know that there's movement within uh, the banks to be able to, they're they're watching the cryptocurrency and saying, well, that protocol is open and it's much faster and it cuts us out of the the process. And so they're trying to think about how to um, match the either speed or the transaction cost. But of course, it's all these banks are entrenched and they're incentivized not to lower the transaction costs because that that can lower their their actual uh, revenue by large large margins and so the the old archaic system is really um, it's a self perpetrating uh, system and so um, it's interesting to see how how they will respond to um, this new payment channel that's that's emerging right now um, yeah on, on the actual uh, regulatory components um, true USD is definitely um, it, it's, it's meant to be as regulatory compliant as possible. We think we recently published a stable coin code of ethics where we said on our blog post, hey, here are some of the things that we've learned about creating a stable coin and some of the past lessons we learned historically. Um, and we said we're never going to actually prevent redemptions because we think that a stable coin is just as good as being able to redeem. It's only as good as its, its ability to redeem the underlying uh, U.S. dollars. Um, and... We said we would never actually influence the price of a stable coin purposefully by offering discounts. Um, and another one is that we will continue to, um, uh, as, as insofar as much as possible, be as regulatory compliant and, and sustain the stable coin so that it's not you know, knocked down by, by uh, miscompliance or anything. And so um, compliance is it's definitely a, a top priority for us. Awesome. And just... Kind of a random question here, but you know, what do you think about the uh, the strength of the U.S. dollar? Because you know, we've seen, uh, you know, obviously you've you've been working closely with the U.S. dollar because you you know you're you're working on a tokenized version of it. But you know, we're seeing the markets kind of shift, kind of crazy right now. Like I, again, this episode probably won't air, uh, you know, for a little while after we've recorded it. But uh, at the moment, uh, while you know the markets have basically the traditional market is also kind of entered a bear market now. Um, so I don't know where it'll be by the time this episode airs, but do you have any thoughts on kind of what's been happening with the U S dollar and it's strengthening and weakening over the last like year or so? Yeah. So the U S dollar currently is uh, in a very good position and has historically been a good position. Uh, I'm, I'm not as optimistic about its ability to maintain its position into the future. Um, and so right now it, it, it's very clear that um, a USD-backed stablecoin rather than some other currency is the one that's most in demand. Um, I think that there's this first layer of asset tokenization, which is individual assets. And then there's a second phase, which is going to be basketing up these assets. And I think that's also going to occur for tokenized currencies where you have something like the, the SDRs, um, which is a composite of multiple currencies. And um, I, think, I think really the, the goal of, of crypto is to um, enhance the value of, of money and currency. And one of those is actually starting to diversify out the risk between different currencies and, and some losing issue powers. And so one of the things we're, we're actually looking into is tokenizing other currencies. We have the capabilities to, and really it's a focus question. Um, but as we look at, you know, Euro or yen or other currencies, um, 
definitely something we're paying attention to is how much do people care about um, staying in true USD versus if there was a Euro product offered, would Europeans prefer to just stay in Euro rather than go into US dollars uh, as a safe place to store their wealth? And so um, I know that there have been historical instances where people would invest in, let's say, Brazil, but they would be in Brazilian real and that currency would take a hit even if the economy was going upwards and that would, that would actually reduce their, that they would be exposed to all that risk. Um, so it is, a, it is a big consideration, particularly in foreign exchange where there's you know, $4 billion or $4 trillion of turnover every day. Um, and so it, it's, it's one of the most compelling, I would say, opportunities with tokenized currencies because there's just so much liquidity with foreign exchange and, and people thinking about how to hedge risk against um, currency shifts. And do you have any additional thoughts on like kind of the crypto winter that we're experiencing right now? Uh, yeah. I, I, so I think it's, I think it's nested into more of the macro climate where, you know, we've, the U S government since the 2008 financial crisis has printed $15 trillion um, that has devalued the U S dollar. I think it takes some time for people to realize that, you know, there, there's some amount of devaluation of U.S. dollars, plus we have the very low interest rates. And so I think the crypto winter, along with the traditional uh, financial system, is, is kind of heading toward a, a awareness that asset prices might be overvalued. Um, and it's, it's not entirely clear how, how correlated crypto and traditional financial markets are going to become into the future. Um, I've heard arguments both ways that they're uncorrelated or they're very correlated. Um, but I, I think that... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more on the side that they are going to be correlated, that asset prices across both the crypto and financial markets are, um, are intermingled and in that once people start to realize that, okay, we've had a lot of free uh, money prints in the system and the cost of capital has been very, very uh, low, um, maybe we need to start reeling back into these prices where they're more in line with the, the real intrinsic value rather than people's expectations of, of where it could go. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I've heard that theory kind of spun recently about the recent decline in crypto was, uh, you know, you first had the, you had the tech stocks, uh, the major tech stocks, you know, Fang, uh, basically their values significantly dropped. And then within like, I think maybe like 48 hours or 72 hours, then crypto dropped. Mm -hmm. uh, so we saw, in, we saw, I think it was close, like, you know, I don't know if these numbers are accurate um, and it might've changed because the market's so variable right now, but uh, I believe that it was about a trillion dollars was lost over about a two week time period in November uh, in the tech industry as a whole. Um, and when that happened, uh, it seemed like, you know, all those tech workers cashed out their crypto. Um, that was one of the explanations uh, that I had read about online. And I mean, it's, it's a fairly logical argument that that might may have happened. Uh, because if all of a sudden their traditional stocks and their traditional equity is now worth less and they're looking to basically get some cash back in their pocket, well, Bitcoin had been stable mostly for several months uh, and they had an opportunity to cash it out at that stable rate. Uh, and then, of course, that destabilized Bitcoin again and then we saw it crash again. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, where what happens next, uh, because like you, I kind of agree that there is a correlation, but at the same time. Uh, you know, we could get to a point where the two markets really do separate. Um, mm. I'm just not sure when that's going to happen. So anyways, you know, this is the Hacker Noon podcast. So I've got to ask, uh, when is sometime in your life that you've had to hack something? Yeah, so I, I would say one of the things that has increased my uh, well-being and happiness 
the most is uh, adopt. So I, I've tried different forms of meditation since high school. And um, uh, about a year ago, yeah, about a year ago now, um, I, I, I tried TM. I went to a class, Transcendental Meditation. And I found that to be um, one of the things that has, has um, helped me both understand my mind and, and relax it and improve it and, and be, become aware of it um, more so than most things I've, I've tried in my life. Uh, can you kind of explain what it, what that technique is versus some of the other techniques? Yeah. So it's a mantra based meditation. Um, and so there are other meditations that are more focus based. And so Vipassana uh, meditation is you kind of focus on, on the nose and the, the, the sensations and all the sensations around your body. But um, TM, you, you are given a mantra and you, you repeat it in your head. Um, and um, it is the simplest technique because you're basically just repeating a sound in your head over and over again. Um, so you don't have to think about it. And um, what I found is that I'm immediately able to calm my calm the inner monkey voice, um, go into a deep state of relaxation, and um, it's been it's been a, a powerful uh, technique for me. Awesome. I, I've used that technique myself, and it, you almost once you match the mantra to your breathing, and then you you repeat the mantra, it almost like almost creates like an immediate biological response of relaxation. That's what I found, at least. Yeah, yeah, I found that as well. Yeah, it's the most immediate result of any other technique that I've tried. Because um, I've tried like visualization techniques and some of the other different forms of meditation. And um, they're, they all have their benefits and they're all unique. But uh, I, I find TM to have uh, just a, an instant. Uh, after you, you have to practice it enough, of course. Mm -hmm. But once you get to a certain point, it's almost instant. Yes. Uh, and you can drop into a meditative state pretty much at will at any time, which... It's very, very powerful. And did you take the class? Uh, you know, I actually downloaded. Uh, so like, you know, you can take a class to do it and yeah, yeah. get the teacher and everything. So what I did is I actually downloaded a leaked version online for free. <laughs> um, so basically what the instructor guide that the instructor would use had uh -huh. online. So I downloaded that. Um, I think I got it on like a BitTorrent or something like that. Um, and I read through all the materials and the techniques and, uh, and then I used the same method that the teachers use to assign you your mantra. Uh, yeah. And I just did it for myself. So it was kind of the poor man's uh, transcendental meditation yeah, uh, yeah. to go download this off BitTorrent. But uh, um, it was, uh, you know, I had been studying other forms of meditation and going to meditation groups. So gotcha. uh, I had an idea of what I was doing going into it. Um, gotcha. But uh, yeah, I, I did not take the class officially. Yeah, I've been wondering if that, uh, <laughs> if that technique actually works where you can do the poor man's version because um, it's, it's been so good for me in, in, in my life that when I recommend it to friends, I'm like, well, you know, I, I, would, I would play the, the, you know, whatever thousand dollars that it costs again. And if, it, if, if you do the poor man's version, it doesn't work, then I would feel bad recommending that. And so I... <laughs> And so that's good to know that um, I can re recommend the poor man's version as well. <laughs> the technique Depends works, period. Um, I should, yes. you know, there, there is, I mean, having a mentor and having someone who knows the technique teach it to you, I do not want to discredit the value of that. I think that's incredibly valuable, especially if you're new to meditation. Um, I, I, thought, I thought the magic was in the uh, choosing of the, the, the mantra. <laughs> So, well, according to what I read from what I downloaded, um, <laughs> they, they have a certain method that they use to choose it. Um, it uses like different, uh, it, it use it like there's some variability there, but it uses age, 
Um, it uses a, like, uh, I think there might be like a male female element to it. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple different variables that they use to come to that conclusion. So I just, I looked at what those variables were. I took the ones that applied to me at that time in my life and used that to create my own mantra. Um, gotcha. but I used their system to create the mantra. So it gotcha. wasn't like I was just like, I'm going to go pick a brand of mantra and, and for people listening who aren't familiar with this, you're not supposed to tell other people your mantra. That's one of the like right. unspoken rules here. So we're not, not going to repeat it. Um, but uh, Have you tried other mantras and, and seen that they're less effective? I have and they are less effective. Gotcha. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. They, uh, I've been able to get similar, somewhat similar results, but not the same. Um, okay. Yeah. It, it's, I've used other mantras, especially when like study, I've studied Kundalini yoga. So hmm. um, there, there's a lot of mantras and there's a lot of sayings that are used in Kundalini. So like I will use those when I'm practicing Kundalini um, and they have a completely different effect than when I use my uh, transcendental meditation mantra. So it's almost different mantras for different use cases. Um, like it's, it's kind of like computer programming, to be honest, like, uh, different mantras have a different effect and a different use case and a different purpose. So I have noticed that using, uh, and the mantras in Kundalini are still Sanskrit and they're still, uh, you know, they're still using, you know, older languages and that kind of thing. But uh, they have a very, each one has a very specific purpose when like under Kundalini, whereas with Transcendental, it's more personal. Uh, and it's more about you and it's more about uh, matching your experience to the mantra and less about here's a mantra to do this for your breathing or, you know, um, it's less about a, applied application and more of a general overview for yourself. So it's, it's hard to describe. Um, but I have noticed there's a difference between mantras. Gotcha. And, and you haven't noticed that after you tried mantras that it diminishes the effect of your main mantra. Cause that's nope. the thing I haven't been actually. Okay, great. <laughs> no, it does not. Um, using different mantras for different things will not affect the, the other mantra because once you create that kind of neurological pathway to that's attached to your initial mantra uh it's it's there you've burned that pathway into your neural pathways in your brain you've created that plasticity to be able to reach that state um and it's basically just your mantra is a trigger to be able to access that pathway you've created in your brain so uh, you know once once that's there you're not going to override it unless you just stop using it but even if you stop you it's like riding a bike like even if you stop using it for a while, like, and then a year later decide to use it again, like it's still there. Um, it just might take a minute or two to remember how to ride that bike. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, uh, kind of what you're doing. You're, you're hacking your brain, you're hacking your neural pathways. So, uh, I, I love, uh, and, and it's a reoccurring thing that, you know, we ask this question on every episode and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have brought up meditation as their life hack. So, uh, so thank you for bringing that up. And you're actually the first to bring up uh, transcendental meditation. So hopefully the listeners are getting some value out of this conversation. Um, anyhow, do you have any uh, final thoughts on, uh, you know, on crypto tokens, uh, digital assets, everything we've discussed so far? Uh, no, I think we quite a lot. All right, cool. Well, where can people find you? Uh, we are, at, we have a website called trusttoken.com. So everything is there. Awesome. And do you have a Twitter account or anything like that people can check out or? Yeah, I think I recently changed my Twitter account. Um, I think it's true underscore Danny on. Okay. Um, 
I used to have have one of those like acronym random numbers uh, Twitters, and I was, I was advised to change that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little helpful when you can spell it out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, well, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been awesome, and uh, hopefully, people have learned a lot about stable co coins from this episode. Yeah, thanks so much, Trent. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.